presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with scientist and educator for Scientist Simone Services, Simone Barkley, for a conversation on a piece of nature. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Simone Barkley. A proud Baltimore-born scientist and educator, Simone has a wide range of experiences in the marine science field. Over the years in undergrad and graduate school, Simone has studied algae, blue crabs, sand tiger, and sandbar sharks, just to name a few. Even with her exciting research experience, Simone's passion for educating young people remains at the forefront of her priorities. Currently, Simone manages education programs at National Aquarium with a special emphasis on providing environmental literacy to youth in Baltimore. She is proud to be supporting students and teachers in her hometown of Baltimore, Maryland through her work at National Aquarium and across the country through a show she hosts with NOAA Ocean Today every full moon. Simone is also the Chief Learning Officer for Black Marine and Science and has launched a Piece of Nature STEAM Kits for children and youth. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Tech Sunday. Such an absolute pleasure to join you and have you join us uh, for each of these broadcasts. We certainly are enjoying the opportunity to explore the different topics uh, that make High, High Tech Sunday so unique. And today is no exception as we welcome Simone Barkley to the broadcast. Good afternoon, Simone. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is such a pleasure. I'm doing pretty good. It's warm outside, really hot outside, so I'm glad I'm inside at the moment. <laughs> you and me both. As we're recording this, uh, I believe that the heat wave continues uh, throughout this country. And so, yeah, you got to stay in, stay cool. And um, certainly, I know for a fact up here in upstate New York, in just a few short months, people will be talking about how cold it is and they'll be uh, missing this summer heat. But we are grateful that we have it such as it is. We're going to talk about a piece of nature uh, today. Really excited to uh, learn about your perspective and your journey that has allowed you to really be someone with a unique uh, experiential background uh, on this topic. But before we jump into the deep, we want to kind of just have an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. And so I want to ask you kind of the elevator speech type of question. And that is, who exactly is Simone Barkley? If you had to kind of give us the headlines about who you are, your background, and, and why you chose the pathway you did in STEM, what would be top of mind for you? Yeah, sure. So I'll try not to uh, say too much because it can easily become a really long story. Um, and I <laughs> usually get really excited when I start to talk about it. Um, so I grew up in Baltimore. This is where I live now, but you know, grew up here and was really uh, excited to like, travel down travel down this hill behind the house that we lived in, me and my grandmother and my mom, uh, there was a hill. And I, if you're from Baltimore or know anything about Baltimore, in South Baltimore, there's an area called Cherry Hill. That's where I used to live. That's where I grew up. Um, and I would like go down this hill with my grandmother, like cut through these woods, and then we would end up in the park. And it was Middle Branch Park, but I didn't know what the park was really called. I don't remember knowing the name of it. Um, but there's also a body of water that like is there, right? And that body of water ends up, you know, flowing into the Taxico River, which is one of the tributaries that goes into the Chesapeake Bay. Never knew that I was connected to the Chesapeake Bay, never even heard of the Chesapeake Bay when I was younger, but I had so much fun like just being outside, right? Like going down that hill, 
being in the grass, right? Like being stuck in between these trees and like having to navigate it and just like enjoying being in the outdoors. And so when I was younger, you know, I used to watch programs on television, like I'm sure lots of people do, like those nature documentaries, right? I spent a lot of time watching some new nature documentaries and I was like, huh, the ocean looks really cool. Had never been to an ocean, again, hadn't gone anywhere, but like, oh, this looks so cool. I think that I want to be a marine biologist. Never met a marine biologist or saw a marine biologist, uh, but that's what I decided I wanted to be. My father would like tell this story like all the time. They're like, she said she wanted to be a marine biologist and I didn't even know what that was, girl. Like, what are we going to do to figure this out? Like, uh, <laughs> So then, um, you know, I fast forward a couple years, I ended up spending some time at the National Aquarium. They had a program called the, back then it was called the Student Summer Program, but now it's called the Youth Exhibit Guide Program. Um, and it gave me an opportunity to be stationed at different exhibits in the building. And I had to learn about everything in the building, all of our exhibits, all of the animals, right? Like the different habitats that they live in. And I got like this huge like binder of that they like had to train us on and we had to take like a test at the end of the training. And I wasn't intimidated. I was like, oh yes, I get to read about all of these different habitats and all of these species. Like that's cool to me. Like I was very excited to take a test. Um, and once I learned all the information, I'm like, yes, okay, I'm definitely gonna do this. I'm definitely gonna go into marine science. And so I decided to study marine biology. Like that's really what did it for me. Um, I kind of have known the whole way no one, uh, even though I didn't have a lot of guidance on it, I still felt like it was something that I could do and be, but there was no guidance or support really for me in that work. But I still tried my best and like trying to do my own research to figure out like what's the next step? What do I need to do so that I can move forward in this field? And that's really what I did. Wow. Wow. And so uh, it sounds like from that downhill uh, journey with grandma and the tributary to the Chesapeake, all of that kind of started to uh, lead to this spark that uh, was lit even more uh, and eventually caused you to settle upon marine sciences as a pathway. Now, I, I said that we were uh, talking about a piece of nature, and I got to imagine that undoubtedly, as you have been enjoying nature, uh, there has to be probably uh, some inspiration, some spiritual perspective uh, that you have been kind of inspired by or sensitized to. Uh, and here on High Tech Sunday, we've learned that there's so many uh, uh, levels of spirituality. Can you speak to your kind of connection and, and, and spiritual background and, and how your spirituality has actually influenced uh, the work that you do and the path that you've taken? Yeah, so that's a lot of things to address, I think, because I'm going to try to remember everything that I want to say. Okay, so like I just mentioned, you know, I didn't have any like real example or guidance for how to do this, how to go into this field, but I still believe that I would. And I, and I did, you know, and for me, like God really honestly like aligned everything for me. Like when I went, I, I, I went and it's, I'm laughing because like it is, sometimes like unreal like when I think about like the different steps and like my path so far like everything has kind of falling into place for me of course I've done work and like hard work and you know I, I've done my part but things have definitely fallen into place and I've always maintained you know um, a really great relationship with God always praying like always going to church when I was even when I was in school right um, and and just trying to like listen to what should come next for me because at some points I didn't know what should come next. Like I knew I wanted to be in this field, but I wasn't sure like which route to go because this is actually a pretty vast field. You can do so much in marine science. It's not only that like you need to be on the boat, right? Uh, uh, catching sharks even like something that I did, but that's not the only thing that you have to do in marine science. You don't have to scuba dive. Like you can work in a lab, you can work on policy, you can do so many different things. And I wasn't always sure like which route I wanted to go. Uh, but I spent a lot of time, you know, just like doing my best academically and then trying my best after uh, doing my academics to get as much exposure to like hands-on inquiry as I could. So lots of internships and so on and so forth. And, you know, 
the thing that I found was that as long as I continued to like stay focused um, on this and I felt like it was my calling to be working in marine science, but I didn't, again, I wasn't sure like what area of marine science was it for me. Once I, and I, well, I think we'll probably get to this a little bit later, but like once I realized that like education was where I needed to be and that I needed to merge education with marine science, they don't need to be separate. That is when I think that like even more doors began to open. Like the whole journey was to get me here. Um, and now that I'm here, the cup is like overflowing, right? Like even with me being able to start a piece of nature, you know, like that was something that I honestly, um, I thought about it last year and I put in a, a grant proposal to to get funded to do a piece of nature and I got the I got the funds and I'm like wow like you know I get to give back to the community in this way because you're right that you know being outside and being in the outdoors there is a spiritual connection right like we talk we in this in this space like we talk a lot about how being in the outdoors is healing right and how it helps you to to relax right and help you to relieve stress there's so many health benefits right not even just that like it can help to ease your mind but it, it there are countless benefits to being in the outdoors and what i noticed when i was in the aquarium as a youth exhibit guy was that like people would come people from baltimore um, would come to the aquarium, but not that many people from Baltimore. I want to be clear that like we don't we don't typically get a whole lot of locals that come to the aquarium, and especially not that many black people. And it's because one, it kind of looks like a touristy kind of a attraction, but also it's expensive. People can afford to come there. It, it's it's not a cheap day activity, right? Like you normally have to save up if you're going to be coming. And what I noticed was that like when we when I did interact with people from Baltimore who came to the building, they didn't necessarily know about the bay, right? They didn't know that we're connected to the Chesapeake Bay. They didn't know about the animals that live in Baltimore City, right? They had no clue that there are like bald eagles that nest here, right? In Masonville Cove, right? You can see bald eagles flying in the city if, you, if you're looking and you spend some time outside, but people don't know those things. And that is, I noticed that then, right? Years and years ago, years before now, where I decided to like do work that would be focused on connecting people in Baltimore to nature in Baltimore. There was, I don't think that there was a huge emphasis on that. There was an emphasis on it for me when I was in school. And so what that kind of led me to to say that, okay, we are like we are supposed to be stewards of the earth, right? Like we're supposed to protect this earth. We're supposed to not only protect it, but also like benefit from it. Like we we should. That's what it's here for. But we just always um, don't know how, and we always don't know like what to protect or the best way to interact with the earth. Um, and so what I really wanted to do was to uh, make that connection and to help people like me who are from Baltimore, who grew up here, feel like this is their city and their city has so much more in it than what we like typically see on TV. This city has so much more to offer. And when it comes to wildlife and when it comes to the outdoors, like, this city has amazing, amazing biodiversity. And I want people to be able to experience that. Like I want to see people get excited when they go outside and, you know, like and see there's so many different things, but like, I think it's cool to see like a fox, right? Like, I think foxes are cool. Like to hear them, like, you don't even know certain sounds that you hear at nighttime. Like, those are animals, right? Like they aren't just like people driving on the streets. Like there's, those are things that, there's a whole ecosystem, right? And I think that we just are so disconnected at times. And now my goal is to connect us back to it. Very cool. And 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 it, it sounds like you might just be a little passionate about this topic. I don't know. Uh, but uh, so let's talk a, a bit more about a piece of nature. So as the backdrop, can you tell us a little bit more about your educational background and the work that you're able to do actually every day? Sure. So I so I went to when I was younger, I went to an elementary school, a Baltimore City public school, um, an elementary school. But then after that, 
my mom was like, oh, I think that, you know, we need to put someone somewhere else, like in a different school. She looks like she's getting like straight ones, which like, straight A's, right? Like we need to figure out something else for her to do. Um, and so I got some like financial aid and my mom put me into a private school and I went to a private school for middle and high school. And at that school, of course, I was one of a handful of black girls in my class. And it was a very, very interesting experience um, that taught me a lot about, like truly about like, being in a place where there aren't people that have the same experiences as, as you and how like that manifests itself in so many different ways. So when I finished high school, I knew that I wanted to go to HBCU. Like there was no question. I was like, no, I, I can't go to a PWI. I've spent, you know, the last seven years um, being, you know, just with a handful of people who look like me, I need to go somewhere else. And so I decided I wanted to, but I knew I wanted to study marine science, as I mentioned before, like I already knew that I needed to study marine science. And so I went to Hampton University for my undergrad. So my bachelor's degree is in marine and environmental science, went to Hampton for that. And then I went to um, Delaware State University for my master's degree, which is in natural resources. And along the way, uh, I when I was at Hampton, I got a scholarship called the NOAA um, Educational Partnership Program Undergraduate Scholarship. This is um, a scholarship that is meant for students that are at minority serving institutions. So Hampton obviously qualified and you have to be in a NOAA related science. NOAA is, you know, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, a NOAA related major. So marine and environmental science is definitely related to NOAA. And so I was able to receive that scholarship. The scholarship gave me money towards my tuition, but it also gave me two paid internships. One, the year um, going into my junior year of college and one go the year going into my senior year of college. And so the first internship is um, normally like policy focused. It's normally based in uh, Silver Spring and NOAA headquarters. And so for that one, uh, I worked on uh, pesticide management. So applications of pesticides in an area where there is a body of water that endangered species or in a species that's on the endangered species list um, inhabits. So could be a species of salmon, for example, but we were really looking at like how to apply pesticides in an area so that it would reduce runoff going into that body of water where those endangered species should be protected. And then I also worked on a five-year review of the Chinese river dolphin, um, which is thought to be extinct, but NOAA still does five-year reviews on them because just in case we like, if they maybe missed one or if there, uh, if there are new findings, but they do a five-year review anyway. So that was my first work and I really focused a lot on policy. Um, and then after that, my second internship, I worked on blue crabs and actually looking at like how they respond to being in hypoxic zones. Um, so areas where there's low oxygen, uh, because we talk about how in the Chesapeake Bay, like there is really not a ton of oxygen in, oxygen in some areas, but we know how um, economically valuable the blue crab is to us, right? So we were trying to see like, how do they respond with low levels of oxygen? And we found out of course, that they can kind of like shut down and go dormant for a period of time uh, and then be able to to um, reassert themselves and continue on if the if the water, the dissolved oxygen in the water was able to like reinstate itself to a healthy level. So that's pretty interesting, right? Like, huh, who knew they can like just shut down for a minute and then or however long it could be 24 hours, could be 48 hours and then they could come back. That's, that's pretty valuable to know and to learn. It's a good lead in uh, to the next question, but I got to give a, a Hampton shout out as well. Our daughter uh, uh, is a Hampton alum as well, uh, yes. electrical engineering graduate of 2013. I uh, don't know when you were there, but if your paths crossed, uh, you know, we got to gotta keep reminding ourselves of some good stuff are coming out of uh, Hampton and the HBCUs for That's sure. Right. And uh, they are, in the opinion of I'm sure everyone on this broadcast, a national treasure that everyone needs to absolutely 
really kind of uh, tap into a bit more. But um, so, so like I said, it is clear that the pot has been stirred for you, and now you're trying to do the same thing for others. And so I think it's really cool that um, when we think about a piece of nature, uh, it actually was born out of this combination of two of your passions, educating young people and your love of nature. And so a piece of nature is actually an environmental STEM kit. Can you tell us about a piece of nature? Yep, so it is. It's a, a, a kit that includes a book that is either authored and or illustrated by a BIPOC individual. So, and, I'm, and I usually don't even use BIPOC um, that heavily, but I'm using it today and the, when I describe these kits because there are a limited number of books that relate to people of color in general being in the outdoors. So like not only black people, but just people of color in general. When there are tons of books of like kids or people being outside, right? Or like looking at the ocean or, but there are not many at all of um, people of color. And so that's why I have to use the BIPOC term um, because if I would only to limit to black people, it would be, I don't know if I would have enough books to do these kits as frequently as I want to, but this is something that I want to change, right? Um, and that I know that a lot of my peers who do science also want to change. And I've actually seen that many of them are starting to write books, right? And to publish books um, that are focused for on children uh, so that they can get this early exposure because we know that exposing kids early to STEM is like one of the main keys to helping them to stay in the field because it's not just about recruitment but we know that uh, that retaining the students and people in STEM is also a major hurdle I think to why the field isn't as diverse so all in all, A Piece of Nature includes a book um, and the book is centered on some STEM related topic uh, and then it includes an activity that I have created that pairs well with the book. So I read the books and I develop an activity that goes with the story. So, for example, the book that we, uh, the kit that we just released, the book was called The Meteorologist in Me by Brittany Ship, And it was about a, a young girl who wanted to be a meteorologist. And then the activity that we did was we made a nature sun catcher. So we you know, encourage the students to go outside, to explore their backyard, to explore their neighborhood or a park or wherever, and to find things that they thought were interesting and beautiful. And they were able to um, add them onto contact paper and then hang that in their window. So to catch the sun, basically. So to just give them an opportunity to get outside and to be a little bit more connected to nature. In addition to the materials for the activity, there's an instruction page that walks through each of the steps, but there's also a video of me, like a tutorial video of me doing the activity. And this I think is really important because it's not only valuable for the students to see, you know, um, someone who might look like them in the book, but also to see someone who looks like them, like on the screen, who is like guiding them through this. So they're looking, um, I think that this is, extremely valuable. I never saw anyone on screen that looked like me talking about science. And so even that alone, I think, is extremely influential. And knowing now how often kids are going, you know, YouTube or looking at other um, media on a computer screen, they should be seeing faces that look like them when it relates to science, especially, you know, so they can feel more comfortable so that when they do go into the field, they don't feel like, hey, I've never seen anyone that does this. How do I know that I can do this? Because I've never seen an example before. So hopefully with the kit, we're giving them some exposure to new authors and illustrators, right? We're giving them the exposure through me leading the activity. We're giving them the opportunity to go outside and encouraging them to know that it's a safe space for them to spend time in the outdoors. So that it's really just about connecting them to the outdoors, but also helping them to see themselves in this field, wherever it's gonna be, whatever part of this field they may wanna go into. And that's why a piece of nature isn't only about marine science, even though I am a marine scientist, it's not limited to marine science because again, I don't want to, um, I don't wanna silo this at all. I want this to be open to everyone, no matter which you might wanna you know, enter, which area of the field you may wanna go into. And I think that when I listen to you 
uh, sharing the impetus for a piece of nature. It seems like you touched on a number of key deliverables, and and I actually applaud you for uh, kind of uh, not not being exclusive, if, if you will. Uh, but I think that the focus on uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC, as you mentioned, uh, is absolutely uh, something that has kind of been a void, if you will. And so uh, it sounds like you're tackling uh, the opportunity to supplement or even uh, introduce um, science teaching in school. But then taking it outside, um, we are, uh, my family and I uh, live in uh, upstate New York. And so you see deer everywhere. Uh, last week we saw a bear. It was a big bear, okay? And so you don't necessarily you don't necessarily see that in the city, but even in uh, the uh, more rural areas, uh, we still like to think of ourselves as more city folk. And so we don't um, really connect with those ecosystems that you're speaking of. And so when you're talking about how you are trying to introduce and enhance this environmental knowledge about what's going on in your own backyard, uh, those those three uh, legs of that uh, a piece of nature stool are really cool. So I got to ask you this uh, because of the fact that um, you got turned on to nature as a kid. Would you say that you were pretty adventurous? And, and how did your parents support this love of nature uh, when you were younger? Hmm. I don't know if I was adventurous then. I think I'm much more adventurous now. Um, well, this is an interesting question. I, I think that I maybe was adventurous more than relative to my parents, for sure. Like, I can't even get my parents to, to camp with me now. And we can't endless numbers of times and I'm always like, y'all want to come with me? And they're like, um, not really. I'm <laughs> really sure. <laughs> um, but you know something like not to be super serious, but there are definitely reasons why like black people have hesitations about being in the outdoors, right? And about being like, camping, like being somewhere where you think is like um solitary and like disconnected from communities where you feel familiar. Like, you know, there are there's a book called Black Faces, White Spaces, and it talks about exactly that, about like why we don't visit you know, national parks as often, right? Like the things that have happened that have helped or have led to us being disconnected, seemingly disconnected uh, from the outdoors. So I understand it, um, but I also uh, definitely try my best to make sure that like, I hope to recall their memory that like, we do spend time in the outdoors. You just may, may you maybe don't think about it this way. Like we have cookouts, right? Like you spend all day outside at a cookout, right? In a park or wherever you have a cookout, you spend all day outside. And there's normally some kind of wildlife around. You maybe don't see it, but there's birds that are flying all around you, right? There's all kinds of insects and things that are near you. And there are you have some like native plants that are near you. I'm sure you're probably witnessing some like pollination happening. You just aren't seeing it, but it's there, right? Uh, so how did my parents help to foster? They told me to go to camp and like set me on camps. And when I, um, and, and, and they let me explore, right? Like they didn't say like, oh, we're nervous, so you can't do this. They were like, okay, I have no idea what this is. But if you like it and you want to do it, tell me more about it and we'll figure out a way for you, um, a way for you to get be more involved. Like my mom is the one who told me to volunteer at the aquarium uh, when I was uh, in the student summer program. She was like, Simone, you say you like the ocean. Here's this, um, here's this opportunity. You need to get your hours for school. Might as well do it here. So I was like, okay. And so like, that's the kind of like how they did it. Um, and it was very, I guess I, I need to commend them because they, I know they were scared. When I went to grad school and studied sharks, I'm gonna tell you, when I went to grad school and studied sharks and I was on a boat every day and I hadn't had like formal swim lessons or anything, my mother yeah. was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I'm out here, I'm going. I'm on the boat, like, I'm not worried. Like, she was like, okay, you need to do this, this, and this. you need to be exercising because you got to be strong because what if something happened? I'm like, I know, my okay. So just, you know, I know that they were worried, but they let me do it, right? And um, 
And still, sometimes I'm not sure that they always understand what I talk about um, <laughs> when I talk about marine science, but they listen and they are even starting to make some changes in their life. Like when we talk about like things that you can do so that you can protect the ocean, they're like, oh, well, I'll try to bring my straw next time. Like, you know, they, they work on it a little bit, so. <laughs> So let's talk about that. Actually, I wanted to pivot for a moment that to that very topic because uh, you 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 talk about kind of getting uh, young people excited about their environment, but we also know that. Uh, we sometimes don't necessarily realize that our own actions and decisions every day actually have an effect, an impact uh, directly on the environment. Can, can you talk about how you're an ambassador for that part of the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So almost everything that we do, of course, impacts the environment, right? Like from something as simple as like, you know, your dog uses the bathroom on the sidewalk. Right, and you don't pick up the dog poop. Like the, the reason that there are signs about picking up dog poop isn't necessarily because they don't want you to step in it, even though that's gross and we don't want people <laughs> stepping in poop. But also, it's because poop has like nutrients in it that um, and nitrates in it that if that goes into a body of water, and we get too many nitrates and phosphates in a body of water, that can then cause an algal bloom. Right. Um, and after, and, and this is some, this is a whole process called eutrophication. But basically, what happens is that these nitrates and phosphates flow into a body of water, um, and as they flow into that body of water, then it can cause an algae bloom. As the algae starts to bloom, and bacteria start to um, like starts to break it down and decompose it, the oxygen is removed from the body of water. When oxygen is removed from a body of water, then you start to see fish kills happen, right? So that's why sometimes there can be um, like fish at the surface. It's normally because there's no oxygen in the water. And that a lot of times comes from runoff, things that we have put onto land that flow into a body of water. It's also another reason why you might see now some like rain gardens, for example, like you, they're in more communities um, than, than they were a couple years ago, but even in parking lots, right? Parking lots are another great example, right? Like that's a whole bunch of like surface that has nothing, nowhere for, for like whatever is on that surface to go into. It just sits there unless it rains. And when it rains, it then flows into a storm drain, right? Which the storm drain leads to a bay that leads to an ocean. So like everything's connected. Everything that's on the land ends up going to a body of water. So the reason they put rain gardens in is so that they can stop that those pollutants, those that poop, fertilizer, whatever it is, um, so they can stop those chemicals from flowing into the body of water because it goes into the rain garden and then it starts to, the rain, rain gardens are meant to um, like retrieve the, the toxic uh, pollutants and toxic chemicals out of those environments so that by the time it gets to water, it gets to the water, there's nothing else in it. So those are like, that's probably one of the like, easiest examples that we can talk about of things that we just see all the time right you see trash of course but like things that you don't notice your car leaks oil right like your car leaks oil so even something as simple as that those are also flowing into bodies of water while human actions like every individual human actions i think are um, can be you know detrimental to the environment over time we also know, and I would not sit here and say that like it, there aren't also like big corporations that are contributing tons and tons of pollution to our environment too. So it's not only about, it's definitely not only about individual actions, because I think that a lot of times people, you know, like this is, that's why there's like pushback about like the straw thing, right? Like, okay, me not using the straw, like me not using the straw, um, does that really do anything? But Yes, I think that we need to be, you know, doing both. I think that we need to do our best to change the actions that we can on individual level as a collective, right? Because if we if we all were able to, you know, make some changes like that, we could see a, a difference. But at the same time, we do need to be putting pressure and like writing to and advocating for these larger corporations to, you know, make some changes as well. It's not that we I don't think that we need to choose. I think that it's it's both and they're both are very important. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that was a fascinating example. So simple uh, because we, we tend to think, you know, these big things that, like you said, only major conglomerates, corporations can do, but each one of us can do our part. So I thank you for, for our reminding of us uh, of that uh, significance. I think I have maybe 90 seconds left in this segment, and I wanted to get this in really quickly. You mentioned in the pre-meeting this idea of upside. Can you quickly tell us what upcycling is and give us an example or two? Yeah, sure. So upcycling is taking something that may have been like meant for one thing or for one use. And, you know, when you're done with it, instead of throwing it away, changing it to be used for something else. So, for example, this is something that I have a tutorial um, about on my website and Black Marine Science has a tutorial about it on our YouTube channel. So you can check it out there. But you could take an old t-shirt, right? Like sometimes you have t-shirts that are old, but you like them. Um, you don't want to get rid of them, but you aren't wearing them anymore for whatever reason. You can take a t-shirt, you can cut out the bottom um, and then tie across the bottom to make a bag. This is an easy way to make a reusable bag. I've done it so many times. Um, you can use a reusable bag for whatever you want. You can use it to get like fruit. You can use it when you go to the farmer's market. You can use it as like a purse. You can use it to carry whatever it is you want to carry in it. It's a really easy way um, for you to, that's a great way for you to upcycle and to reduce your impact on the environment because you aren't going to be using a single um, use like plastic bag. So I love doing upcycling projects. That is awesome. And I, I mean, where was Scientist Simone uh, services like like a year and a half ago when uh, they stopped letting us uh, have bags that we in the grocery store, we had to yep. bring our own and pay for them. Um, do you know how much money I've spent on those bags <laughs> because I forget to go and bring them with me to the grocery store now and all these t-shirts we got at home. So uh, anyway, <laughs> that, was a, that was worth the price of admission today. That was a great <laughs> example. Uh, listen, I, I look forward to continuing our chat in just a bit, but I'm going to hand off to my co-host, Lango Dean, as we continue to uh, talk to Simone Barkley and uh, A Piece of Nature. Hey there, Lango, how are you? Very well, Dr. Vaughn. How about you? I'm doing great, thank you. That's wonderful. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, scientist and educator for scientist Simone Services, Simone Barkley. Registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. Stay tuned for a message from our sponsor. Running from October 7th through the 9th, 2021, don't miss out on the upcoming Women of Color STEM Conference. Since 1995, the Women of Color STEM Conference has been the premier forum of choice for recognizing the significant contributions by women in STEM fields. General registration opens on April 30th, 2021. Don't miss out on the opportunity to meet and learn from executives who are committed to the advancement of women in the workplace. Again, general registration opens on April 30th, 2021. We hope to see you there. Please visit www.womenofcolor.net for more information. Again, registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. So visit www.womenofcolor.net for more information. Now, back to the show. Um, it's a pleasure to have Simone with us today. Uh, Simone, I want to go back to a couple of things that you said in the conversation with Dr. Vaughn. And uh, you talked about when you were in the private school and um, that experience, that very interesting experience, I think was the way you put it, kind of led you to 
um, wanting to attend an HBCU because you wanted a different kind of experience. You didn't want to be in a place where um, you had to kind of go swim upstream every time against the, you know, uh, certain kind of things. And I think you you also touched on this this whole concept. We talk about it a lot of being a majority minority. Um, but let me focus now on the fact that you are kind of like a Noah poster child in a way because you won several scholarships with them, done internships with them. And I want to go back now to, as you know, Noah's 50th anniversary was last year. And one of the agency legends interviewed was Evelyn Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the first woman, first African-American woman to command a coastal survey ship. And during the year 2020 interview, she said that although the agency touches people in all aspects of their lives, weather, fisheries, surveying, hurricanes, every American is not well represented in the agency. She also said that people could do, people of color could do things just as well as other people. So what are your thoughts on being a young black woman in this field in marine science? And what are your thoughts about your academic and career achievements and that others perceive your competence just as you want it to be perceived? You're right. I'm definitely a bit of a NOAA poster child. And it's interesting because when I went to Hampton and I first got the scholarship, you know, my goal was like, I'm going to work for NOAA, right? Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm that's where I'm going to end up. And so I did graduate school and then I got the Canals Fellowship, which actually placed me in NOAA Office of Education. And then I came to the aquarium. But I continued to work with NOAA and host the Ocean Today Every Full Moon series, um, which I've been doing for, I don't know, about six years now. And when I was talking a little bit earlier about how I wasn't sure like which way to go in this field. When I finished grad school, I was in that space. I did not know what I was going to do after I finished. And it's because when I was in grad school, I didn't have the support that I needed to prepare me to be a marine scientist. To be a Black marine scientist, my advisor wasn't a Black person, the white guy. And there were many times in grad school where I questioned, you know, like, should I stay in this work? Like, am I good enough to be a shark researcher? Am I smart enough? Do I write well enough? Like, do I know what I'm talking about when I go to a conference and like people ask you questions? You know how scientists can be sometimes like at conferences, like, I don't know how it is in all areas of STEM, but sometimes when we go to conferences and I'm like giving a presentation, somebody will be like grilling you, like testing you, like, do you know all your stuff? Like, yes, I know my stuff. Like, what you mean? I'm, I'm doing it. Like, I'm the one that's out here. So it just, it really, it really um, made me stop and made me think like, is this where I want to be? Like, I knew, remember, right, from middle school, high school, college. I was like, yes, yes, marine, marine science, marine science. That's what I'm going to do. And then when I was in grad school, I'm like, I don't know, Simone, you did all this, but like, it don't, I don't know if this is where you need to stay, right? It seems like this is not the right place for you. Like, there's no one else here. You're not really, you know, um, getting the support you need to take you to the next level. So you feel confident. Like, you, I didn't feel as good anymore but like I mentioned you know I think that it was because like what I actually should have been doing was um, finding a way to do both which was connecting people students black people all of those things um, to the environment to marine science and they and I had been separating them for so long um, because I thought that was the only way. And I think that that's another thing is that when, you know, as being a Black person in marine science, you're not always told about the different routes that you can go, right? Or you're always told about like the traditional way that people have done it, the same way that your advisor or their colleague or their peer has done science, right? But you weren't told about, you know, the different ways that you could do it, the different ways that you can do it and be impactful to your community. And I think that that is 
something that I didn't get. So I had to learn how to make my own path and learn how to figure out like what I thought and what I knew was the right way for me to, um, to address this work. It sounds pretty tough because, okay, we all know the scientific community is a very, um, it's a very taxing <laughs> place to be. What I mean by that is you have to prove everything that you say, or, you know, when you come out with a statement, you have to show evidence that mm -hmm. what you're saying is true. We, we get that part, but then there's this all other side to it where as a black um, or as a BIPOC, black or indigenous person or person of color, you constantly have to prove, um, justify <laughs> your, your, your place in the room or, you know, your place at the table. So, but it seems that you have found not coping um, strategies. You, you've gone, you've done better than that. You have trailblazed a whole new path. So what advice do you have for young people of color who may be considering a career in marine biology? Now, I would say that this is something that I didn't have, but now you have it. There are so many like affinity groups that are focused on marine science, black and marine science. There are black women in um, ecology, evolutionary biology, and um, environmental studies and marine science. There are so many um, groups now that have been established honestly uh, out of you know things that happened last year that have led us to create like you know black birders week right that was one one of the um one of the initiatives that were launched and i would say to connect with those groups because those can be those people are your tribe like they've gone through it before or going through it at the same time and i didn't have other people to talk to who looked like me that were in school and and experiencing what i experienced i didn't have that besides like the people i were that were like graduated with me out of my class, but no one who I could really get advice from. Um, and so I would say to reach out to those groups and join those groups, right? They have so many different opportunities for you, for you to learn about the field, for you to talk to them and ask questions and talk about, and even talking um, about like the school that you might be, you know, interested in going to, like what's it like at that school? Um, you know, like what are the professors like, you know, even things like questions like, you know, um, how long is someone typically in a lab? Like when you're going into grad school or people graduating in three years, two years, five years, what does that look like? Like those are really important things I think to know. And I would also say, don't be afraid to try different things. Like you heard in my bio, right? That like I did some stuff with algae and blue crabs and policy, right? And sharks, I've done so many different things and that can look very different for each of us like that could mean that you do a different internship every year it could mean that you maybe work in one lab one year and then the next semester you're working in a different one um i would say to get as many experiences as you can i am so blessed and so appreciative of being able to get you know that NOAA scholarship and honestly they don't often get as many people as they would like applying to and receiving those awards so please like look for the scholarships if you don't know where to look again i would go back to those groups because like what a lot of the groups are doing now like black marine science um are like trying to put up a list of resources for everyone who is you know in in undergrad or even k through 12 to give them the early exposure so i would maybe start to compile a list of those opportunities and use social media to your advantage. I cannot say this enough. I did not, obviously I didn't do this, but many of the scientists now, everyone like tweets or, or has an Instagram page, right? Where they share their work, where they share what they do. And I, I, I don't think I did the best job at this, but you don't have to separate your like work, your science, persona from like who you are um, in your everyday life. Like you don't have to have two separate pages. I mean, you can if you want, but you don't have to. Like it is, I think, more beneficial for people to see you and everything that you are at once, right? Like, so you like to, and this is just an example, right? But like, like I like to, I don't have my nails done now, but I like to have my nails done and they, they might be long, right? And they may be bright and they might have like rhinestones on them. And I remember someone asked me, 
one day um, when I was in the field, someone asked me, like, they let you have your nails like that? Who is they? And what do you mean, let me? Like, yes, I can have my nails like this. This isn't stopping me from doing my work at all. I'm still able to function. I'm still able to get done everything I need to get done, right? I wish I had seen someone that looked at me that had their nails done, that was out there doing science and talking. Like, yes, do you? So I want to encourage you to be yourself all the time, right? You don't have to separate it. You, it is more beneficial and and you, I think, will flourish if you can always like just be true to yourself, right? Like you can see that like I try my best. You can see when I get excited, like ah, I'm there. <laughs> like you don't have to hide those things, right? Like those things are what makes you special. And those are the things that I think make um, you the scientist that you are gonna be. That's wonderful. You have brought everything on one page. You have brought your HBCU experience at Hampton, which is probably one of the top marine science schools in the country, bar none, really. You have brought that. You have brought your NOAA experience. You have brought your National Aquarium experience and the other things that you do within, you know, in terms of community outreach. And now you are the CLO, Chief Learning Officer of Black and Marine Science. So if you, if you had 30 seconds to advise a young 17, 18 year old just out of high school, trying to find their way, what would you say? What would you say to them? I would say to get connected to your local area, right? Don't be afraid to explore what you might think um, there's nothing that exists there, but don't be afraid to do, to explore your backyard because you don't have to go. I think a lot of times people think like you need to go far away, like you need to go to an island, right? Or you need to go to another state for you to get outside, right? You don't have to do, or to see something cool. You don't have to do that, right? You are going to find so much joy and so many like intriguing things if you can just like spend the time to like open your eyes and i think that we move so fast and that that's why we miss so many things but like just relax for one moment and i bet you that you will see so much in front of you and listen to like if you believe something i know if you believe it and like it's not by chance that anything like come along to you, right? Like it's not by chance. Like those things arise in your life for a reason. And sometimes when you feel uneasy, like when I was feeling uneasy in grad school, it's because, right, I needed to, I needed to move on to something else. I needed to take it to another level, but I just wasn't sure what quite yet. But when you feel uneasy, like listen to that because it doesn't always mean that like you're doing something wrong. It just means that maybe like there's something more for you, right? And you just need to be like open and willing to like step out of your comfort zone and do something that maybe someone hasn't done before. But if you feel confident in it, if you know that it's something that matters to you, you can do it. Like I never thought that I would be on the boat catching sharks, but I did. I didn't know that, you know, like I said that I wanted to be like one of the, there's this um, program, uh, the North American Association for Environmental Education has a 30 under 30 environmental educators like award. And I said that I wanted to get that award. I was 29 when I said I wanted to get the award. And then I got the award when I turned 30. Y'all. Mm, mm, wow. I, I don't know how to top that. I really don't. So, so what I'm going to do, thank you so much, Simone. It's been fascinating talking to you. At this point, I'm going to throw it back to Dr. Vaughn, and hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about being Black in marine science. Thank you again. Thank you, Lango. Thank you. Wow. Okay. So, so that was a moment. Let, let's just uh, kind of re regroup and collect ourselves. But uh, it, it's High Tech Sunday every now and then, you know, the, the, the church will show up. Um, so, uh, so um, really powerful, powerful testimony. And, and, it, and it goes all the way back to what you were saying uh, about in your youth. I, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew that 
this marine uh, science pathway uh, just felt like it was what God was directing me towards. I got a whole bunch of questions that I want to get to in like, you know, three and a half minutes. So it's not going to happen. But we do want to get this. We do want to get this in. Can you give us some tips Again, you, you've touched on this, so just a reiteration on, on how uh, you would encourage people to connect with their local environment. And uh, that kind of can be um, maybe a seed that you plant uh, before we ask you for some parting thoughts. So how can we get connected uh, to our backyards? Yes, yeah, so uh, if you have a park that's near you, I would say go to your park and just sit on the bench for a little bit, look around. I didn't even notice birds until like I was in grad school. Like again, didn't notice them. Had no, didn't pay any attention to birds. Didn't, couldn't tell one from the other. And then there were some lab mates that were studying birds, and like I would learn a little bit more about them as they were studying them. I'm like, huh, these seem kind of cool. And so now I start to spend time like just standing outside and like looking for birds. And now you'll see me like with binoculars looking for birds, right? And what that just happened recently. Um, so I'm saying this to you because like I'm the same way. Like I didn't always notice certain things um, in the environment. Uh, but if you just, I would say to go out to your to your local park, sit on your porch. Like a lot of people sit on their porch or their steps or their backyard or their deck or wherever on your balcony, wherever you are, sit outside and look around. Um, you can if you have like a nature center that's nearby, I would say to spend some time at a nature center. They normally have some local species, like native species there. Um, there are a lot of like urban farms. Uh, so if you can go to an urban farm, like an, a farm in a neighborhood, um, that also I think is really valuable because they'll be having some native species. Usually they'll have some pollinators, of course. So you'll get to, you know, see what kinds of insects are coming nearby, what kinds of plants are important um and you can even learn about like what kinds of plants you can eat which i think is fascinating i'm not super like informed about it i need to do more research because when i camp i def i don't just try things but i would love to i would love to though so i need to do some more research so i can like be better at foraging but there are so many ways i think for you to just spend a little bit of time uh go to your zoo aquarium of course those things are are there to you as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for those tips. And really, it has been fun spending a moment in your world, uh, Simone Barkley, a piece of nature, scientist Simone Services. You have served it up today, and we appreciate (laughs) that. And we look forward to hearing more about these services because it really is important. Uh, And it's a great uh, opportunity that you presented us with to get connected right where we are and uh, to to move forward from there. So thanks so much uh, for being with us on this episode of High Tech Sunday. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. If anyone wants to reach out to me, um, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Scientist Simone. And uh, you want to go to my website if you want to learn a little bit more about the Piece of Nature kits or any of the other work that I do. That could be the uh, NOAA shows. I link to those, uh, any of the Black and Marine science tutorials that I've done, they're also there. That website is scientistsimone.com. And uh, please also check out Black and Marine Science YouTube channel because we release we release a new video every Friday and some Saturdays about um, a different ocean topic. And they're all led by Black marine scientists. They come out every Friday and some Saturdays. They're called BIMS Bites. And each month we even do a deep dive with um, a prominent leader in marine science. Uh, Those are called BIMS Dives. That's on the last Friday of every month at 6 p.m. So my name is Simone. And so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scientist Simone. That's S-Y-M-O-N-E scientistsimone.com if you want to go to my website as well. Thank you so much, y'all. This was really fun. I had a great time.
Well, so did we. And uh, we are looking forward. I got to go find out more about upscaling, okay? Uh, so when you, see the, when you see the guy with the T-shirt bag at, at the grocery store, you'll know that I got it from Scientist Simone. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thanks again. And we're going to hand it back to Brandon Newby to see us out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students. And this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time. Nominations for the 2022 Bay STEM Conference are now open. someone in your organization who goes above and beyond? Nominate them for a 2022 Bay STEM Conference Award. Please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process. All peer-reviewed nominations are due on August 31st, 2021. All Outstanding Achievement Award nominations are due on October 1st, 2021. Again, please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process.